Good morning. So we're in the book of Hebrews, um, and we'll be in chapter 3 today, if you want to go ahead and turn there. I assume uh, most of you, at one point or another, have gone to a doctor for a physical exam. Is that true? Most of you done that? Raise your hands. I was just, yeah, okay. I had to do that not too long ago uh, because um, <clears throat> that wonderful Israel trip that so many of you contributed, that Karen and I could go and be a part of that group, that was great. Um, apparently, I'm old. Uh, <clears throat> because I was told that at my age, I had to get a physical exam to be approved to go because uh, going around the Holy Land, there is a lot of climbing going to archaeological sites, a lot of uneven ground, climbing stairs, up, down. The Holy Land is not a flat place, just so you know. That was great, great time. Anyway, I had to go to the doctor. I had to do the physical exam thing, make sure I could handle it. And, uh, you know, when, when you go for one of those medical exams, one of the things uh, that a doctor will do, typically, is in order to evaluate your health, they want to see how your body responds to certain things, like shining a light in your eyes uh, to see if your pupil responds properly, you know, contracts, dilates, whatever it's supposed to do. Um, you know that little rubber mallet thing, you know, where they tap, tap your knee to check your reflexes? That's a neurological test, so they want to see that your body responds properly to that stimulus. A good response is evidence of good health. And it turns out that the same principle applies to your spiritual health. There are certain things that your, how you respond reveals how healthy you are spiritually. And one of those things, one of those things is what we could call the warning passages of Scripture. As you interact with God's Word, occasionally you will come across passages that are very serious. These don't tend to be the ones that we, you know, buy the little calligraphy plaques and put on our walls and things like that. You know, we, we, we stick to the, the really, I don't know, happy passages for those things, but that's not all that's in the Bible. There are some very serious passages, and, and these challenge us to make sure that our faith is real and not phony or superficial. You know, just because a person claims to believe in Jesus, that does not, just claiming that doesn't mean that that faith is genuine. In fact, the Bible has many stories of false faith that God rejects. And so because God loves us and because he wants our faith to be genuine, he has included in his word some very serious passages that warn us about false faith so we can recognize it and turn away from it and instead have a relationship with God that is genuine and real, and growing, and alive. Here's the question. When you 
Okay, so, so this is time to think about you. Now think about the other people in your life. When you personally encounter one of these warning passages, how do you respond? Do you take it seriously? Do you think to yourself, boy, you know, whether or not my faith is, is real or fake, that's a big deal. I need to really, I really need to consider this. I need to take this to heart. Think about this. Or do you sort of blow it off and say, eh, I'm fine. My faith is fine. I don't, I don't need to be concerned about this. Well, today we're going to be looking at one of those warning passages. And so you're about to have an opportunity to see how you respond. And what your response says about your spiritual health. So Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 19. Verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, okay, just stop right there for a minute. He's about to quote from the Old Testament, Old Testament scripture. And just in passing, notice how he does that. He says, as the Holy Spirit says. So as he's quoting scripture, he's saying, this is God speaking. This is God's spirit. And he's going to quote from Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 is all about what happened to those people that God rescued from bondage in Egypt. We read about this in the book of Exodus. If you've seen the Ten Commandments or the Prince of Egypt, that's the basic storyline. And God did all kinds of miraculous things to deliver these people and to bring them to the land he had promised to give them. And yet, these people who experienced this ended up dying in the wilderness and not going into the promised land because of unbelief. And so the author of Hebrews is going to use their example as a warning to his readers, which includes you and me. So therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, this is starting to quote Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's the end of the quote. Now the author of Hebrews picks it up. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort or encourage one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ if, indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? 
Was it not all those who left Egypt, left by Moses, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Notice that this warning is addressed to people who consider themselves Christians. We, we know that because of the whole book, but here we see the word brothers in verse 12, uh, because to belong to Jesus is to belong to God's family, and so all other believers in Jesus are your brothers and sisters in Christ, um, which means if you consider yourself a Christian, and I realize you know, we may have people here today who don't, and I'm glad you're here. I really am. I hope you're feeling welcome, and I hope you hear something that's helpful to you. But if you consider yourself a Christian, this is addressed to you. I point that out because sometimes people make an unbiblical assumption, which is that if somebody says they have faith in Jesus, they don't need to bother with scary warnings like this. Oh, yes, they do. Oh, yes, we do. And it's not because, let me be clear, it's not because a person who has real faith in Jesus can lose their salvation. That's not it. Uh, people sometimes think that's what this is about. It's not. The issue is whether or not a person's faith in Jesus is real in the first place. That's a question every, every professing believer in Jesus needs to ask and answer. Because huge things are at stake. Huge. Verse 12 warns us about falling away from the living God. That's not talking about falling away in some accidental sense. You couldn't help it. It's like falling in a ditch. This means actively turning away from God like these people whom God rescued from Egypt. You know, verse 8 calls what they did rebellion. Well, that's not a passive, accidental thing. They didn't passively fall away. They actively rejected. They actively refused. They actively spurned the living God. And that is a terrifying thought. Because if you turn away from the living God, you have no hope. You've turned away from the only source of life and everything good. And then verse 14 says, For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence, our original faith in Christ, firm to the end. So see, what's at stake here is being a share in Christ, belonging to Christ, being one of His being one of the lost that he has found and redeemed and forgiven and made right with God and adopted into his family. This is the most important issue there is. Now I realize all of us have all kinds of things we're concerned about. We have a lot of things 
you know, to deal with. Some of us have some big problems, hard situations in our families, our lives, whatever. But this is the most important issue, whether or not we really belong to Christ, whether or not we're inside God's family or outside of God's family, whether we're headed to eternal joy or eternal sorrow. And what makes this a warning is that gigantic little word. Do you know that some little words are huge? This is one of them. If. We share in Christ if, indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Again, the issue is not if someone with genuine faith can lose it. The issue is if someone's faith is truly genuine. Because if it is, because if it is, it will endure to the very end. If it doesn't endure, then it's not real. It's an illusion. And if that describes your faith, then you're in great danger. I'm in great danger. That's why we need to make sure. That's why we need passages like this that cause us to examine and think and consider. Make sure your faith is real. That is the extremely serious warning we are confronted with here. The great physician is shining the light of his truth in our eyes. How do we respond? How do we respond? Well, what should we look for? What should we look for? What responses to this warning about false faith would show us that our faith is real? Well, I see at least four here. We call them four spiritually healthy responses to God's warnings. Here's one. A spiritually healthy response is that you agree that unbelief is the worst threat you face. Unbelief is the worst threat you could face. So, here's what I mean. If you read this warning about turning away from the living God with a hard, unbelieving heart, if you hear that, and there is within you a sense that that is the worst thing that could possibly happen to you, and you don't want it to happen to you, that's a good sign. That's a very good sign. But if you hear this, and you kind of shrug your shoulders, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal to you, and it's certainly not something to get all worked up about, because, you know, there are a lot of more important things on your mind to deal with, uh, that's not good. That's not good. That's a sign of a heart that is strained toward unbelief. And let's be clear what we're talking about here, unbelief. Uh, verse nine, 19, I'm sorry, gives us the reason for why the people who came out of Egypt turned away from God and rebelled. And it says in verse 19, the reason was unbelief. Well, let's be sure we know what that's talking about. Unbelief 
is not an inability to believe because of a lack of evidence or lack of information. You know, like when you just don't have enough information to know whether to believe something or not. Like if you came up to me today and said, hey, uh, do you believe it's going to be sunny next weekend? Can't say that I do, because I have no idea. I don't have enough information on that topic. Ask me, you know, Saturday night, maybe. Um, but not being able to believe because you don't have the information in order to believe, that's not unbelief. That's not unbelief. Unbelief is the refusal to believe in spite of the evidence. So these people who rebelled against God, they had plenty of evidence. It says they had 40 years worth of evidence. All the miracles we read about in the book of Exodus, you know, all those deadly plagues that came on the, on the Egyptians and somehow spared the Israelites, uh, the, the Red Sea parting so that God's people could go through, the Israelites could go through, and then it comes back and it drowns the Egyptians. Um, God supernaturally providing food and water in the desert as they traveled through the wilderness. There, there was no lack of evidence that God was worthy of their trust. But they refused to trust him in spite of the evidence. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to be unsure and to wonder, you know, if you're, if you're honest and if you're open to the answers. But if deep down, what the real problem is, is you just don't like what God says, and so you don't want to do what God says because you want to be in charge and you want to decide for yourself what's good, what's right. And so you refuse to trust him. That's unbelief. And it's deadly. You know, until Jesus returns like he promised to do, until Jesus returns and, and makes right every wrong, fixes everything that's wrong with his planet, what's wrong with us, I mean, until he does that, there are a lot of really bad things that can happen to you and to me. I mean, you can lose your job, lose your home, lose your family, you or somebody you love can come down with a fatal disease. I mean, there's just all kinds of terrible things that can happen in this world and do happen. But if you agree that above and beyond all of those terrible things, that unbelief is the worst thing that could happen to you, that's a healthy response. That's a healthy response. Here's another one. You give and receive encouragement to trust God. You give and receive encouragement. So verse 13, but exhort or encourage one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let's just do a little exercise in Bible interpretation, shall we? 
Let's do this. What do you think the expression every day really means? You think it means every day? All right, let's take the other expression, one another. What do you think that means? Think that means one another? Like, like really? And if, if every day really means every day and one another really means one another, um, what does that tell us about how not to let our hearts grow cold and unbelieving or hard and unbelieving? Is that telling us we shouldn't try to go it alone? Is that telling us that every one of us actually needs daily encouragement in our walk with Jesus? That genuine, healthy, growing faith in Christ requires, not suggests, not optional, but actually requires meaningful community with some other believers? It's, it's interesting. It's strange. I have discovered that it's usually not the big doctrines of the Christian faith that people have trouble accepting. You know, like the doctrine of the Trinity, that there's one God eternally existing in three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father's God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, and there's one God. And that's hard to understand. It really is. But... Because that's what Scripture teaches, most Christians seem to have no problem accepting that because, you know, after all, why should we expect God to be completely understandable? He's God. We're, he's infinite. We're not. But then you get to a simple teaching like this that we need, that believers in Jesus need regularly to connect with other believers in Jesus for mutual encouragement to fight the danger of an unbelieving heart and we go, nah, I don't know about that. Well, you can tell a fair number of people don't really believe it because they don't do it. And maybe they think they don't need encouragement or maybe they lack what it takes to actually encourage somebody. Oh, I don't really know how to do that. You know, if that's you, let me just encourage you. Encourage you? You got that? Encouraging someone else is not that hard. It's really not that hard. You can just encourage somebody by saying, hey, I'm going to be praying for you this week. You know, that, that thing you shared that's weighing, I'm, I'm going to pray for you this week. Of course, then you have to do it, but it's not that hard. It's not that hard. Or, if you're one that thinks you don't really need encouragement from others, yeah, that'd be a nice extra, but you don't really need it because you're busy and you got all kinds of stuff going on. Your faith doesn't really need any help from anybody else. How do I say this gently? Well, either you're wrong or the word of God is wrong. Because this is saying that to fight unbelief, we need to incur, engage with other believers in giving and receiving encouragement. And how serious we are about doing that. Okay, because I know this is a challenge. We're all busy. we got a lot of stuff going on. And so to stay for the second hour and get to know people that you don't know or join a small group and get to know some people you don't know or, or you know, just 
get some people together, some other believers, and pray together and encourage one another. I know that's hard. But how serious we are about pursuing that daily encouragement, that shows us, that reveals how serious we take this warning. And if you're doing it, then that's a very healthy sign. Number three, third response that's healthy, you expect to be lied to. You expect to be lied to. Not by me. That's not what I'm talking about. But verse 13, again. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Look at that expression. Sin is deceitful. Think about that. That means sin lies to us. It lies to us. It, it entices us with false promises to seek our good apart from God. It tells us that we can find great, the greatest satisfaction, the greatest meaning and joy in our lives and contentment outside of God, outside of His good design, Sin promises us that we will be happier if we reject God, ignore God, do our own thing. But it lies. It totally lies. Here's the thing, though. You can know that. You can know that. But the problem is the lies are really good. They're good lies. They're usually very attractive. This, by the way, is one of the reasons why we need Christian friends who watch out for us and encourage us. Because here's the problem with being deceived. You don't think you are. You don't think you are. Think about it. Who in their right mind would pay a high price for a used car that's a piece of junk if they know it's a piece of junk? Nobody does that. Because they don't think it's a piece of junk. They think it's a great deal. They're deceived. And any time... Anytime we think, you know, anytime we think that doing something contrary to what God says, anytime we think that's a good deal, we're about to get ripped off. Because sin's merchandise is always defective. Always. It promises great things, but it can't deliver. Sooner or later, sin always betrays you, and there's no refund. But if you hear Jesus say, like he says in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. If you hear that and you believe him, and you look to him, and you listen to him, and you trust Him to lead you to satisfaction, enjoying, contentment. You know what you'll do? Here's one of the things you'll do. You will, you will strive to stay on your guard against those clever, attractive, deceitful lies that you know are coming. You're going to be 100% successful? No, but you will seek to stay vigilant. You will seek to 
spot those lies when they come to you because you know they're coming because you have an enemy you have an enemy who wants to destroy you and here's the thing there's only one way he can destroy you only one way and that is to harden your heart against Christ with his lies that's his only that's the only thing he can do to destroy you so if you expect his lies so you can spot them and reject them. Yeah. Say, oh, that looks really good. Yeah, that looks like that'd be super fun. Yep, I really want to do that. Uh, but you know what? That's a lie. That's a lemon. I'm not buying that. That's a good sign. One more. You refuse to rely on your resume. You refuse to rely on your resume. And I'm talking about your spiritual resume, all of your past spiritual experiences. To me, one of the most sobering things about this passage is that these people who turned away from the living God had amazing spiritual experiences. Amazing they heard God's voice in ways that most people never have. They saw his power. My goodness, again and again. They trembled. I mean, they had a genuine emotional response. When God spoke, they, they trembled. It was scary. Uh, they rejoiced. They had a tremendous emotional response. When God delivered them, ah, let's sing, let's party. This is awesome. It was I mean, they were excited. They had powerful spiritual leadership. Moses. They knew God's promises. And none of that proved that they genuinely trusted God. None of it did. So think about your spiritual resume for a minute. Maybe you don't have much of one yet, but just think about your own, your own spiritual experiences. Maybe you were raised in church. Maybe you, quote, asked Jesus into your heart at vacation Bible school. Maybe you've been baptized. Maybe you've taken communion. Maybe you've participated in countless times of worship. Maybe you have gone on retreats. You've seen God change lives. You've seen it. You've memorized Bible verses. You've given generously to God's work. You have done lots and lots of good works yourself. Wonderful. That's, and I mean it, that's wonderful. I'm not saying anything against any of that. Just don't rely on any of it. Don't depend on your resume to gain you God's approval. That is not how it works. Frankly, your spiritual resume is worthless if there is not a genuine faith in Jesus right now. Let me say that again. Your resume is worthless without a genuine faith in Christ right now. And if, you, if your faith is real, when you hear that, that won't offend you. You won't get defensive. Instead, you will agree 
with the Apostle Paul when he says in Philippians 3.8, after listing his resume, which was very impressive, and he says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of what? Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Knowing him by faith now. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Look at this. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. He means not a righteousness that I I gained, that I achieved by my efforts, by my rule keeping, but that which is through faith. A righteousness that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God. It's a gift. And it's obtained by faith, by saying yes, by receiving, responding to him. Hear it again. Today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, we're told it's the Spirit of God who said that. That means that today, we are hearing his voice. How do we respond? How do we respond? See, today, today is a day of grace. It's a day of mercy. It's a day to turn from sin and turn to Christ. A day for coming to Him. A day for saying, Lord Jesus, I really want to know You. I really want to trust you with a faith that is real. Don't let me turn away from you with an evil, unbelieving heart. That's today. That's today. Don't squander today. Don't let it slip away. Because today won't last. We don't know how long our today is. One of these days today is going to be the last day. And it could be today. Today you're hearing His voice. Today is the day to respond. The day to say, Lord, I've been trusted in the wrong things. My heart is not where it needs to be. Lord, please, don't let me turn away from You. Please, give me a faith that is real and genuine. Let's pray together. I just want to give everybody a quiet moment. I won't say anything, but if you're hearing his voice today, if you're hearing him call, you say, today you need to trust me. Today you need to stop going your own way. Today you need to receive my love my grace, my mercy. I just give you a moment and let, let each of us uh, deal with God. Father, thank you that you love us so much that you warn us. You're a good father. You're a good father who warns about the dangers that fill our world and threaten us. And of all those dangers, Lord, the worst one is unbelief. God, may we not turn from you. And I just pray for anybody in this room 
that needs to take that step of saying yes to your son Jesus and believing in what he accomplished on the cross. And we don't have to earn your favor. We can't earn your favor. We can only receive it as a free gift. Lord, help us all understand that. Help us believe that. Fill us with your spirit. Enable us to live life trusting you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.